Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I am Adam Pranica. I am Benjamin R. Harrison. Back behind the mics after, what, what do we got, like three weeks in Adam and Ben time. Uh, <laughs> always imperceptible to the viewer at home. It has been a long time since we've recorded an episode of this show. Why did we even show them behind the curtain? I think they like seeing behind the curtain. Oh, yeah? I think they like seeing underneath the kimono. <laughs> That's an HR violation in in, uh, in at Uxbridge Shimoda LLC, though. You can't do that. Yeah. Well, fortunately, we are the HR department, so we can, we can look the other way on this particular instance of it. We're going to get away with it with just a slap on the wrist. Yeah. But then, like, years from now, they will find that our company had a... a culture of kimono looking behind <laughs> from the beginning it was uh it was some say baked into the dna of the company <laughs> would that be the uxbridge side or the shimoda side of that family i think you know which side it is adam <laughs> i've never been the baker in my family if we're talking about baking things in that was always Rishan Steele. I was the steeper of the tea. But respecting people's boundaries and personal privacy is not my strong suit. Of course, I famously implanted a music box in Deanna Troy's brain. I also like to believe that my mash extermination of the Hooshnock counted as just a slight overreach in someone's (laughs) privacy. Neither of these are things that I did with (laughs) explicit consent. I see, the, I see the area of my ways now. I mean, it was the 90s. It was a different time, but that's not an excuse. I'm personally just wondering when my rehabilitation tour can begin. <laughs> Some nights I drive behind the comedy cellar, look out, look out the window at it, and wish to get back to my roots. Hey, uh... Is anyone here from out of town? <laughs> Specifically, the Hooshnock homeworld? <laughs> Boy, are my extermination powers tired. <laughs> Let's talk about in-flight meals for a second. Specifically, <laughs> interstellar meals. Take my rubber wipe, please. <laughs> Real tight five by uh, by Kevin Uxbridge there. Yeah. Not a surprise. He's had a, a millennium to work on it. <laughs> He's doing a lot of uh, of uh, material that is severely dated even by our standards, but he can be forgiven <laughs> given his extreme age. <laughs> be quiet, Grandpa. Yeah. Uh, Adam, I have a big old box here, and it's uh, I actually got it before we left for the uh, re- most recent leg of our tour, but uh, I'm excited to open it. Do you want to listen to me open a box? You should open that box in case there's food inside. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Starfleet emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. The address is... Um, it leads me to believe this is going to t- contain comics. I'm opening it, and 
Holy shit, Adam. This contains a shit ton of comics. <laughs> Whoa, was it is the box like one of those coffin comic boxes? Uh, it's like uh, it's like the priority mail medium flat rate box. Okay, right on top, I've got a Star Trek: The Next Generation 1989 calendar, and uh, it's like a, a, a wall calendar, a month to month. That January. Now we got to see when 1989 can be reused, uh, right? Yeah, we do. These are blown up photos that are not great quality. <laughs> uh, there's a January is uh, Captain Jean Luc Picard as Private. Detective Dixon Hill. Mm. Uh, there's Q in his uh, in his judge getup from Encounter at Farpoint. In his big hat. Oh, here's a uh, here's the Traveler. Loaxana Troy. No Shimoda. Sad. Mm. What else do we got in here? This looks like it's it's like a coloring book calendar. It's called the Star Trek: The Next Hysterical Calendar. And uh, mm. the on the on the cover is Worf with like a suction cup dart stuck to his loaf, uh, and a kick me sign taped to his back. And uh, you said this calendar was from 1988. Yeah. Wow, check it out. So you can't use an 88 calendar until 2044. Shit, dog. And then after that, 2072. That calendar, Ben. I'm sorry to tell you, almost worthless. <laughs> <laughs> There's a. Uh, the March image is the uh, the original series Enterprise with the Millennium Falcon like hiding under the disc. Like you know, you know mm. when uh, like a you know when they when they like park it on the back of the Star Destroyer and then float away <laughs> with the garbage. It seems like a lot of <laughs> the uh, humor from this is based on the idea of of uh, Star Trek and S- Star Wars meeting up. Feels like some real science fiction carpet bagging. If you yeah. ask me. I cannot believe this exists. <laughs> <laughs> That's what people say about our show. Yeah. You can't reuse this episode until 2044 also. Yeah. I've got several copies of Star Trek The Next Generation magazine, an issue of Cinetastique, uh, all about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, as well mm. as an uh, issue of Starlog magazine about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Koch Comics really understands value because you want to go for that flat rate box if you're stuffing it full of old <laughs> magazines and calendars. Oh, here's a letter, I think. Oh, man. Letter is full of collectible card game cards. Let's see, here's what it says. Dear Benjamin, the work you and Adam have done these past few years has kept me falling into the depths of my depression and <laughs> crapulence. Oh, no. I keep thinking Is that word crapulence? Yeah. I, wow. I don't know I, I don't know that word, but uh, <laughs> uh I keep thinking of running away from it all, but the laughter and talk about hygiene and mental health has given me a bit of hope for the future. Enough to clean the schmutz off my face, dust off my pants, and test the world at the beginning and end of every week. In the box are the few Star Trek comic books I could find at work. They go as quickly as we can get them in. And plenty of magazines for your, quote, research, unquote. (laughs) Most importantly of all is a sealed box from the customizable card game for the series Mirror Mirror. According to the box, each pack holds 11 cards. There are 30 packs, meaning you can spend half a season playing war. Live long and prosper, Dave. (laughs) 
Uh, Dave, thank you so much. Always great to hear that we uh, have helped anyone in any way by doing this dumb show. So thanks for <laughs> as implausible as it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of implausibility, Ben, what would you say if I told you that uh, that Quark could be installed as the leader of a Klingon house? Would you be ready to believe that? I would, uh, I would Elaine Bennis style shove you and say, get out. Well, we have got the episode for you, Ben, <laughs> as we talk about Deep Space Nine, season three, episode three, The House of Quark. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no. Of course you don't. I love starting an episode on Morn, and I think we're gonna get more and more of this. Yes. Like we 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 start on Morn and then move the camera to where the action really is. But the action I think is going to be taking place in Morn's quarters because uh he's ready to lay that hammer down. Yeah, he gives like a fist pump to Quark and, and Rom as he leaves the bar with a, a beautiful lady. And it's not that Quark and Rom are like upset that uh, that Morn is about to embark on some consensual lovemaking with a with a lady from the bar. It's that it's a really bad sign when Morn leaves the bar because Morn is usually the last one to leave and it's not closing time yet. Rule of acquisition 286. When Morn leaves, it's all over. Morn is like one of the f- the last customers they've got, and uh, Quark is feeling feeling really down about business. It seems that the recent excitement surrounding the founders and the Dominion have really put a chilling effect on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> it's not surprising to me that uh, that a scandal like the the chance of death <laughs> could uh, could keep people away from what we're to understand is. Not a really great place to get a drink or a bite to eat. Yeah. Like, people prefer the replimat. Station traffic in general is way down, but uh, yeah. But Quirk's Bar is dead. And yeah. uh, the, the only customer they've got left is a super drunk Klingon. Yeah, he is, like, barf on the table drunk. Yeah. And he wants another drink, like most barf on the table drunks do, only he's run out of money. This guy definitely has been overserved and needs to be cut off, but also mm-hmm. they don't want to turn away another sale given sure. given how dire the straits are. But yeah, the the dude's pockets are full of moths and dust and he's <laughs> he's looking to start a a tab on his good reputation, which uh, does not necessarily inspire Quark. I mean, you you would think that Quark would be interested in getting into the crediting business, right? He makes so much interest. Yeah, that's true. It's, I think the problem is this guy just doesn't look good for it. Yeah, they don't even. But they don't even like run a background check. You know, they don't. They don't uh, give three addresses and say which of these three have you lived at in the last five years or none of the above. A little Experian <laughs> material for you. <laughs> ben, they tell you never to fight a drunk, and I think what well, the scene that we get here is the reason why. This guy is angered at the idea of not having credit extended to him. Yeah. And even someone as as feeble and as fight-averse as Quark is, is able to somehow uh, trip this guy up to the degree that he falls on his own knife. Yeah. And uh, he did. <laughs> and uh, just to confirm that, Quark reaches down and gets a big smear of blood all over his hand so that he can look at it. Yep. 
can confirm that is blood. I don't think you want to touch the blood, do you? Like at a crime scene? Very strange choice. The only way I would forgive that choice if he had been like, it's red. What? Wait, is it purple or red? Which is it? Which is it? Quark and uh, and Rom like yell at each other into the into the show open. <laughs> Star Trek in general has Klingon continuity is is totally screwed. You know, I think we just have to let it go. After the break, there's an investigation going on. Like they haven't the body isn't even cold yet. When there's like a really bad accident on the highway, they like pull a fire truck in front of what's happened so yeah. that people don't see the the dead bodies or whatever uh they do not do that here they they have left all the windows to the bar open to the promenade and big crowd has gathered to just uh gawk at this dude this crowd is all a titter about this and quark sees this as an opportunity to make some money by by turning the situation into legend yeah in uh responding to odo's inquiries about what happened he kind of he kind of projects to the back of the room, and he's uh, answering the question as he much... He does that performative talking. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, answering the question as much for Odo as for all the uh, all the people assembled. Because, uh, you know, if he's, if he's Quirk, the Klingon killer, he thinks that people will want to come drink in his bar. Drink in his bar. If you get too drunk, he might kill you. <laughs> it's going to be great for business. Who wouldn't want to be killed by a Ferengi? <laughs> In saying that, that's kind of the core of the episode. That's the core problem. Right. <laughs> the degree to which people do not want to be killed by a Ferengi. Yeah. And uh, and they come at that from a lot of different angles. Ben, there's a different kind of death happening in the quarters of Keiko and O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. The death of ambition seems to be... All over Keiko's face as she as she snips some bonsai trees dispassionately at home. This is a great uh, split diopter shot. She, you know, she's she's working on the tree and she she's uh, kind of by herself. And then O'Brien walks in and orders a beer from the replicator, and he is very deep in the background, and she's very nicely framed in the foreground. I thought it was split diopter too, but I kind of think it's a comp. And here's why. Keiko looks matted, and I've never used a split diopter, so I don't know if you can, like, rotate it back into square. Uh Uh-huh. Is that something that you can do with that kind of lens? Because when O'Brien walks into the foreground on her same focal plane, both of them are in focus, and I don't know how you do that with that kind of lens. I mean, he's so far back in the room that I think you could have that much depth of focus with that lens. It also might just be that they're shooting on film and they know that what looks focused when they compress it down to standard definition uh, is different from what it would look like if you were, you know, projecting it or transferring it to HD. I don't know. You might be right. If it is a comp, it's 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 probably motion tracked, right? Because the camera moves. It, It tilts up. It is so unique in this show, like this sequence and this shot. I rewound it a couple of times trying to figure out how they did it because I I was just unwilling to believe that it was split diopter given the walk to foreground that yeah. seemed like something they never do you might be right that it's a mat I'm looking at I'm looking at her ear and I'm not sure I believe 
the edge of it now. That's exactly what that supports my argument is her is her mat ear. So she's probably on a green screen or something. That's what I'm guessing. Wow. And then they do a nice bit of cutting around it, like because they cut to over O'Brien's shoulder and then when they cut back to that original shot, they're using a standard lens. Right. Or or they're both in the same frame. I don't know why you would do a a comp for that shot. Yeah, it's so much work for that shot, right? But I kind of like I really admire it if that's what they did. Yeah. That's a mystery. I wonder if uh I wonder if we had, uh, you know, pulled an nth degree card on this uh, on this episode, if we would have found out the secret behind it. Exactly. Yeah. So we have kind of two very independent stories in this episode the uh the quirk killed a klingon story and the miles and keiko are dealing with the fact that keiko's school has shut down story and they don't really overlap or intersect that much it's an episode of the week we are not in arc mode at this point a lot of what's happened to keiko has happened off screen slowly but surely like her school has died because no one is going there anymore. The Bajorans on the station have started going to school on Bajor, yeah. leaving only Jake and Nog <laughs> as the students. And uh, if you're a teacher, that's not going to do it for you. She's decided to pivot into uh, tutoring. Can instead. you imagine just Keiko, Jake, and Nog in a room together for eight hours a day? They would drive each other nuts. That's a real like boy meets world uh, situation, right? <laughs> I would watch that show. Yeah, that'd be fun. Maybe that's a maybe that's one of the shows they should do with all these new CBS all access Star Trek shows that they're trying to make. <laughs> the uh, the Boy Meets World style DS Nine universe show with Keiko as Mister Feeny. Yep, <laughs> that sounds awesome. Who's Topanga in this scenario? Is that Jake or Nog? Mm, I think that Topanga has got to be a Dabo girl. Yeah, okay. But also, she's vastly smarter than both of them put together. Nog is obviously Sean, and Jake is obviously Corey. Yeah. What's the, that, uh, what's the dweeby kid? Is it Minkus? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Hell yeah. <laughs> good grab. <laughs> really good grab. I'm going to Jackie and Lori show you uh, a picture of Minkus. K- present day Minkus? Just, uh, Minkus is all grown really... up, and you won't believe what he looks like. Oh boy, he kind of uh, he kind of grew up into a into a real boy band type, I think. I, he's got that look. I mean, like as a yeah. as a little kid, he's got a cleft in his chin. Like he looks like he's going to grow up to be a hunk. God, all I wanted in the world was a cleft chin <laughs> and pubes. <laughs> if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick the chin. Nobody really told me about pubes. <laughs> no one tells you about pubes, Ben. You have to find out on your own. Yeah. I, didn't, I never wanted them. When I started getting them, I'm like, what's this? No. <laughs> <laughs> and from then on, you made a decision. You'd never have them. <laughs> yep. That's why I'm sponsored by Gillette. I like this O'Brien and Keiko storyline. I mean, the fact that she is upset and feeling adrift is something that he really 
sympathizes with and like his arc is how do I you know I I'm the reason my wife and I are here on this station and the you know the situation on the station has changed such that she is miserable and I want to do what I can to remedy that to even have an element of a Star Trek story involve like a committed relationship and some of the realistic problems in something like that. Yeah, these are real marriage feelings. And the way that they treat this relationship within this episode, I think, is is so mature and confident and relatable. That feeling of of knowing that that your special person is struggling and not really knowing how to help. Yeah. Is is such an awful powerless feeling and I think Kalamini's performance here is great, and and so is uh, Rosalind Chow's. Like, yeah. They both act the shit out of this episode. It really comes out of left field that they're going to have a great episode here, because that is yeah. not really how it reads at the beginning. And then halfway through, I was like, holy shit, this is actually turning out to be like a pretty amazing O'Brien and Keiko episode. The way Keiko says I'm fine, really, is pretty brutal. I think for for anyone who's ever heard I'm fine really yeah. in a moment like that. But I it, think that it like feels very real. If you're in a relationship with somebody for any amount of time, this inevitably happens where yeah. one person is unhappy and the other person has to puzzle through is this something that like is there like a way I can be helping find a solution to the problem or is this just a I need to be, you know, here and sympathetic to this right now and like or some mix of the two like that's what i'm fine really does like it never i'm fine really never stops the problem or like or makes anything better i'm fine really begins a process for the other person yeah it's it's interesting that it's set against the high drama of quirk playing Cleon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the tone swings so wildly back and forth in this, but uh somehow I th- I feel like it kind of held together as an episode. I don't know. I don't know the, why. Yeah, the the tone is pendulous, Ben. Uh back in the bar, uh business is great. People are coming in wanting to meet the the killer of Klingons and and have a drink poured by the real-life Quark. It was a furious exchange of blows. Even though the blood stain hasn't even been sufficiently clean from the middle of the bar <laughs> the, so the Klingon that that he killed was uh, went by Kozak and Quark meets Degore who is Kozak's very angry and aggrieved brother who wants to know exactly how this went down and there's a lot of uh, like instructing the viewer how Klingons work that I thought right. I thought was pretty well done because if you've watched every episode of TNG and Deep Space Nine up to this point, none of this is new to you, but it doesn't come across as a retread because Quark wouldn't have any context for any of this stuff. So when he's right. when he starts by saying like He just fell and Degore is like I'm going to kill you. And then and then he has to walk it back and say like He fought a brave and valiant battle right up to the end. It was an honor to kill him. But tells you a lot about what Degore wants his brother's death to have meant. And Quark's actions here seem very relatable. Like he's saying whatever he can 
to avoid death at this guy's hands. Right. And that's a theme that really runs throughout this episode. Every time Quark thinks he's kind of figured out how to talk to a Klingon, there's a new layer that is peeled back and, and reveals that he really doesn't have a great deep understanding of the Klingon conception of honor. He needs a like straight talk for teens style mentorship <laughs> about how to have these conversations. And you know who would be great at that is Dax. Dax would be awesome at that. She gets nothing to do in this episode. No, not at all. She and Kira and Cisco are barely are barely in the episode. This whole situation's complicated because if it's an accident, it means a dishonorable death. If you're killed by a Ferengi, it is also dishonorable. But I guess if you're killed by a Ferengi in combat, it's not totally dishonorable, and there may in fact be honor in that death. It's a real puzzle. It's a death riddle <laughs> wrapped in a death enigma. O'Brien's first tack for trying to cheer Keiko up is romantic dinner. The canapes aren't ready yet. Uh, he pops some champagne. They uh, they knock boots a little bit. He's, uh, he's making her canapes. Amorous O'Brien is one of my favorite O'Briens. Yeah, always puts on a silk shirt, which was uh, a real 90s move. I mean... It's kind of a throwback in his time period, but uh, in the nineties, right. if you wanted to, if you wanted to be an amorous dude, you put on a silk shirt. When was the last time you wore a silk shirt? Not since the nineties, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone did it. I had, a, I had a pair of silk boxer shorts in the nineties. I was a kid. What was I doing with those? Yeah, you and me both, man. I'll tell you what I wasn't doing with those: showing them to any girls. <laughs> yeah. They were my secret silk. Yeah, like, I don't know how I got them, like, what persuaded me that I needed them. I think I had it in mind that if you were going to do some sexy times, you needed some sexy underpants, but that was still a decade away from me. <laughs> silk is way too ambitious of a fabric when you're, like, 15. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and when you're starting to, like, learn how to deal with a smelly body, silk <laughs> is not the fabric for you. That's really, like, varsity-level <laughs> fabric for... <laughs> For somebody that's totally JV. <laughs> really shows a lot of stains. Impossible to clean. No. Yeah. You know what? We're kind of bad-mouthing Silk, Ben. We don't want to get big Silk on our case. Every time we bad-mouth some... I, I got a ton of shit for bad-mouthing wadding toilet paper <laughs> on this show, so... We uh, we clearly just can't come down on either side of Big Wad. Yeah, yeah. Golden Cotton. The cut. Golden Cotton. So. So by the morning after, uh, this amorous moment has lost a little bit of shine because on his way out the door, post-coital O'Brien uh, takes one last look at his lovely wife and, and she sort of does that thing that... Uh, Chekhov does when he has the bug in his ear like as soon as he doesn't think he's being looked at he kind of dead faces away into like the middle distance CT Alpha 6 has checked out and that's what Keiko does she kind of slumps on the couch and yeah. uh, and is clearly still unhappy if uh, if every time my wife left the house to go to work I was like I guess I'll just be here all day and slumped on the couch uh, that would be a real guilt trip. Uh, I don't. I don't blame him for for feeling bad about this, but I also don't blame her for feeling like, God, what am I gonna do? Just sit in this house all day? I am the type that will most definitely wait for the other person to leave the room before like actually emoting something like this. <laughs> so for Keiko to say that she's fine 
and then to so clearly not be fine in the presence of her husband. I think she's really hurting and she doesn't quite know how to articulate that. I think Keiko has, before this episode, turned the corner into a fully shaded, sympathetic, good character. I mean, it's kind of canonical, their relationship, though. They barely knew each other when they got married. So the idea of like being vulnerable with each other and and like actually expressing themselves might be kind of new to them. When people talk about like the honeymoon being over, right. I think that's what that's what most people are describing is like when the vulnerability can creep in. When you can like say something that is challenging without being worried that it's going to be the end or whatever. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is the episode their relationship needed. Also, a- around this time, a Lady Klingon shows up in Quark's bar. My name is Grilka. She's just as as freaked out and, and pissed off as uh, Tagore, but kind of in the opposite direction. It was hard to recognize her as a female Klingon without, like, the Lursa and Bator-style décolletage. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that there wasn't a window into underboob in her garment she's definitely not from house cleavage the way they are (laughs) she's kind of foxy like she's foxier than a full-blooded klingon typically is right she is great yeah like her stepping onto the screen she has a great entrance into this show yeah and she just maintains that intensity throughout she's so much fun she's a, a ton of fun um she uh she actually abducts quark she uh she hypo sprays him in the neck, and when he gets hypo sprayed uh, to revive him, he is on Kronos in her house. <laughs> There's an old man there explaining that uh, he's in the what used to be the house of Kozak. She she's Kozak's widow. <laughs> this has got to be so scary. Like waking up on Kronos is like a billion times worse than waking up on a plane to Vegas. That What they cut out of this scene right before they revive him is the guy telling the computer to beam all the poop out of his colon so that he doesn't <laughs> shit himself when he wakes up. Because <laughs> that's got to be like a pretty standard thing that happens when you, uh, when you nudge someone awake and be like, hey, you're on Kronos. What? <laughs> The very next scene that they show is like the exterior of the Great Hall on Kronos. And I was like, there's no way this is Kronos, right? This is like some other Klingon planet. Sure as shit, it's Kronos. Yeah. Like they made it all the way there. Crazy. So Kozak was the head of one of the great houses, like a Moog level house, apparently. (laughs) And uh, his death is a big political problem uh, because Degore was an enemy of his. And Mm -hmm. uh, in, in... Confirming that Kozak's death was honorable, Degore stands to inherit the uh, the land and property. They're desperate to keep their family's house in order. And they're so desperate that they put a robe on Quark and, uh, and a robe on Grilka. Yeah. And then they make Quark repeat after Tunic. Mm-hmm. And a kiss later, they're married. You are husband and wife. Congratulations to Quark yeah. and his new and his new wife Grilka. Ben, did you like this episode? I loved it. <laughs> I loved the uh, the Klingon bird of prey with the uh, with the tin cans strung to the back of it, the just married sign <laughs> in the back window, warping off into the sunset. I love Grilka and Quark at the wedding cake, like rubbing, frosting all over each other's <laughs> loaf. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's fun. She throws a bouquet of knives. <laughs> oh! Person that catches it is uh, very dead. Uh, their their first dance to Malorta. <laughs> Not a dry eye in the house. Yeah. Just a real pretty moment. Back on DS9, uh, there's a little bit of a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Between Kira and Dax and Cisco, And they are just talking about some bullshit that does not matter in this episode because a knock is at the door and it's O'Brien. And he wants to talk to Cisco about personal matters. Personal matters of the type that Dax knows immediately that she should leave. And Kira's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to keep <laughs> doing the work I'm here to do because I'm a professional. To, to everyone's credit, O'Brien is like, oh, you guys are working. I'll come back later. And and Cisco's like, no, no, it's cool. What and it, what do you want to talk about? And he's like, oh, well, it was a personal matter. So I, we, can, we can talk about it later. It's totally fine. And Dax is like, Kira, let's get out of here. And Kira is very disrespectful. Must be some kind of human thing. Kira, like me, is like, Cisco and O'Brien aren't even that close of friends. Like, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? What could this possibly be about that I can't be here for? Do Cisco and O'Brien have this kind of relationship? This seems like an O'Brien to Bashir conversation to be having. And they have another one like that later, but right. like this, this seems to be like overstepping a professional subordinate to manager relationship. Right, because like, like they're so... Like, in terms of rank, couldn't be further from each other, you know? Like, O'Brien yeah. has, like, an important job on the station, but he's an enlisted man, and Cisco is a is an officer in Wouldn't Starfleet. Wouldn't you be reluctant to talk about wife problems with the guy who is a widower? Like, hey, you remember when your dead wife was alive? <laughs> How'd you make her happy? <laughs> do you ever think about whether or not she was happy when she was alive? How do you think? Is she happy now, do you think? <laughs> I mean, if she wasn't assimilated, I mean. <laughs> do you ever think about that? Is she assimilated? I think it's a coin flip as to whether or not she's assimilated, Ben. Wow. I, that's what I think. Fuck. Yeah. Damn. That's a dark timeline. Yeah. So in spite of how much we question how close O'Brien and Cisco are, this is actually a really great conversation they have. Like they they are exchanging a, a currency here that feels real and good. And this idea that it is easy for Cisco to do him this favor of granting him a cargo bay for an ar arboretum. Well, the station is mostly empty and always has been. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like it's a growth curve is exactly great right now. So <laughs> I think Bay 21 would be ideal. Cisco's like, as long as Keiko doesn't worry about getting knifed by a Jem'Hadar because uh, <laughs> there's no active security in that part of the station. Right. Like, yeah, everything's cool. Yeah. Like, Cisco go goes down a laundry list of things that are wrong with that cargo bay. Right. It's also interesting, like, we just witnessed, like, a marriage at knife point. And, like, the idea of that occupying the same space with an episode about a dude just, like, doing everything he can think of to help his wife be happy. <laughs> it's, like, it's pretty fun. It is. Very whiplashy. Yeah. In tone. You really want to do this? Here. Now. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Do it. We get to see Gowron in the in the uh, central hall or whatever, the Klingon High Council is meeting with uh, Degore, who is uh, staking a claim to the assets of uh, House Kozak. And uh, Gowron is like about to rubber stamp this when uh, Grilko walks in and uh, breaks the bad news to everybody. Enter, has 
been like nobody is excited to find out that uh, a a a Ferengi is going to be leading a a great Klingon house. What is this shit that Galron's doing? Like he's overseeing a kind of Klingon people's court here. Like this seems like real low rent bullshit for him. I make claim to the title and property of this fallen house. You have a canceled check or a paid bill? <laughs> I thought he'd have more important things to do. Like, don't get me wrong. I am very thrilled that he's in this episode because I love him as a character. But this seems so beneath him. It's great house shit. That's what uh, that's what royalty is all about, right? Yeah. I don't know. I guess so. I like the. I love how I love how he struggles to say the word quark. 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 Ankylosaur. Like it really stumbles him. I like the idea that uh, you can be a different species and and lead a Klingon house, though. Like, what if in Discovery, yeah. when you saw those like hologram Klingon leaders, that like one of them just happened to be a Ferengi? It's fun to get more Klingon world building here because like there's so much more to them than just winging batlets around and talking about honor and eating gross food yeah and how fucking complicated is it that they're like cool with a ferengi dude leading the house but a klingon woman leading the house is like a big river to cross for them you know (laughs) right what the hell is that okay with a ferengi as the leader of a house than doing forensic accounting at any level (laughs) like that is beneath them turns out uh has been doing some accounting though quark gets grilka to open the books and let him looking at look, look at her klingon spreadsheets and uh he finds out that Degore has been waging kind of a financial war against the house for a long time which is why they're they're getting less powerful. Like nobody, nobody with any honor on Kronos thinks or cares about money. But Tagore is a real patak, so he's been he's been working on that level the entire time. You want to find yourself an accountant who's not a patak, yeah. If you can, yeah. Quark wants to do some of this forensic accounting for Grilka, and Grilka isn't thrilled about this, but she uh, she ultimately. Demures. He's like, let me do it. I brought my accounting vest. It, like, I didn't. I wasn't expecting to get abducted, but look, I got this vest. He's on Kronos, but he he still remains true to his Ferengi roots. I did love his little PowerPoint presentation where he's trying to talk the, the Klingons through the forensic accounting, wherein he has discovered what a what a Patak de Gore really is. Now, if you go to the file marked devaluation of capital income we can review the way before that's a great scene yeah takes him on a long walk the scene you referred to earlier with uh bashir and o'brien uh is a uh like replimat scene and o'brien is a little bit just trying to get bashir to like comment on what he's looking at you know like he's got the he's got the ipad with the with the design for the arboretum Mm -hmm. That he's going to build for Keiko. He's he's looking at Bashir, kind of like holding it out, so that it's like impossible for Bashir not to say something about it. But uh, Bashir winds up having actual relationship wisdom here. I understand why you want to continue the positive character building with Bashir by giving him a scene like this. But I've got a rewrite for this episode, and that is switching the scenes between Bashir and Cisco. And, and what happens in them, because I think it makes far more sense for this advice to be coming from Cisco and far more sense for Bashir to have had some sort of unused lab on the station that he wasn't really doing medical science in right. to offer to O'Brien as a, as a place for her to do that work. 
contextually, this makes no sense that Bashir has this kind of advice. Like his entire character up until now has been one of of not grasping even the basic idea of of how to treat a woman or be in a relationship. So, I mean, it's it's good advice ultimately, and it and it actually is the thing that triggers action for O'Brien. But I really wish that they put these words in someone else's mouth. Yeah, because it's like the core of of the problem is that Keiko is a capable, ambitious woman, and there's like no obvious place for her to focus her energy anymore. And uh, you know, an arboretum is not going to scratch the itch. Is basically what what Bashir is saying. It's gonna. It's going to turn her career into a diversion, not not the thing that she's actually like achieving things with. Bashir says you can't be happy turning your career into a hobby. Yeah. It made me think a lot about how we have turned our hobby into a career. <laughs> yeah. And how ultimately satisfying that is. Yeah. Compared to the, to the reverse. I agree. Quark finds out that uh, Degore, that House Degore, has systematically ruined the finances of House Kozak. Quark is really, uh, it's really Degore's worst nightmare. Like, he is. like if Degore is a Patak that uses money to to achieve his goals, like Quark is a fucking beast in that department. He is he is a certified Patak with a lot of financial savvy. DeGore's no dummy though, because he's got Rom in his back pocket because he's he's sort of predicted Quark's financial abilities here and is like, I've got I've got like a parry to this financial thrust <laughs> and and producing Rom here is is really effective. Hello, brother. And Rom is there to like discredit Quark's story, you know, which originally DeGore needed the story to be that it was an honorable death, but now now he's going to try and undercut it, and Ram is the only other witness to to the death to uh, throw some doubt on, on Quark's narrative. Right. And it turns into a, uh, we're going to have to bat-leth it out. Yeah, it's bat-leth <laughs> it done, right? Yeah. And uh, Quark has a pretty savvy strategy here, which is toss the bat-leth and say, Go ahead! Kill me! You'd be a real asshole to do it because I'm unarmed and I I know like even if I was armed it would be a totally lopsided fight. Like like what are you proving by chopping my head off with a batleth? I really love how this unconventional strategy by him seems true to what we know that he knows. Yeah. Like he's not an expert in Klingon politics, but everything that he's picked up on in this episode leads to this point in a way that makes sense. Right. Like he he every time every time he acted with some confidence in thinking he knew how a Klingon was gonna react to something, it's been wrong until this moment. Yeah. But you've actually yeah. seen him like learn the hard way each time. And this actually like makes sense that he would try this gambit here. Yeah. And uh, it works. Like, Decor is going to, is like getting ready to swing on him, and Gowron like knocks him over, basically. He's like, What the fuck is wrong with you, you dope? You have no honor. Give me a fucking break. And they do the discommendation thing. Yeah. They do the, the cross the arms and turn the backs on him. It's a real, like, Wakandan salute situation. A- am I doing the salute wrong? Uh, no, nah, man. I think it's, I think it's the fuck you doing. It? Yeah, they invented the the uh, the Wakandan salute on Kronos of all places. <laughs> <laughs> that means Black Panther is canonical Trek. 
I love that about Black Panther. Well, having dispensed his ruling, that only leaves the uh, the Quark and Grilka marriage to be dealt with. And you're only ever a slap and spit away from a divorce <laughs> if you're in a Klingon marriage, Ben. If, uh, yeah. if that were the case here, we would have been divorced thousands of times. <laughs> you and I wouldn't be in business anymore because yeah. that's how you dissolve a business also. Sure is. More, more, more. sweet, more, more, more. Here, buddy. more. Stop. Hammer time. Yeah, the, uh, the button on the episode is that the bar is back to not being in great shape, but is uh, holding on with it by its fingernails. And uh, O'Brien and Keiko are, are up on the second level having a quiet drink together. And O'Brien's like, hey, listen, I might have a solution to this career issue that you're dealing with. I uh, I found out about this expedition that's going to some like remote part of Bajor for six months to... And they need a botanist. Like, they need somebody with your skill set. Weirdly also has figured out a way for Molly to go with her. Like, he's like, I'm not going to take any responsibility for our child. You take her on this challenging trip into rugged terrain that has never been charted before. Like, keep the kid on the station, O'Brien, you dope. (laughs) Three-year-olds love camping, and parents love camping with them. Give me a fucking break. This is not a good idea, Chief. Not a great idea. Like... I understand that she would feel terrible not being with her three-year-old child for six months, but like it's also established that it's while it is a remote part of Bajor, it's only a three-hour trip by runabout, and O'Brien can get one whenever he wants. So put the kid in the runabout every weekend and head to Bajor. Uh, did you get the sense that at the end of this scene that she would apply? It felt a little bit ambiguous. Yeah, I don't I don't think that they committed to it, but what isn't ambiguous is like he has empowered her and motivated her towards like chasing yes. her career aspirations and that's good. Like that's good enough. That's a satisfying resolution to their story in this episode. Cuz she feels changed to this agreement that they made that they were going to move here and do this for a while. It's fucking sad when she says that over and over again. Like She's clearly upset by this decision. She feels like obligated be- and pot committed right. at this point. Like her, Rosalind Chow's performance in this scene is really great. And it's kind of heartbreaking. It is. Downstairs in Quark's bar, we have a moment between uh, Rom and Quark that, that feel almost the same way. Like, like they've become closer as a result of this adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Rom is really licking Quark's asshole in this scene. Kind of touching. He just wants to hear the bedtime story about Quark killing a Klingon. Yeah. I love that that's what Rom wants. <laughs> Tell me that like semi-fictional version of the thing that we all just lived through again. <laughs> Rom is totally the uh, the Lenny to this George, <laughs> to Quark's George in this situation, right? <laughs> Rom, is, Rom is petting the Latinum. <laughs> yeah. Did you like this episode? Uh, I did. I, I thought it was a really good episode. It was fun to see them kind of build on the a lot of like established canon the way like klingon politics works and how discommendation works and stuff all of that was really fun to see i like that keiko is not like she's not a main cast character but they're also not going to just leave her in a kind of like established role and like never think about like what she would want as a person ever again like the fact that the writers are thinking about like like, what does this mean for somebody like Keiko? And then telling an interesting story about that is like a real right. step forward. How about you? 
Um, I really like the episode too. And if you were to just tell me what the ingredients were without a plot, I wouldn't say that I would be super thrilled about it. Right. Like in assembling these ingredients and creating this story, I think what you have here is really great. I really like Grilka a lot. Like Grilka as a character is like, I think one of my favorite characters that we've run into on Deep Space Nine. It's a great episode for Armin Shimmerman too. Uh, the actor who plays Grilka is Mary Kay Adams. And I went looking at her career a little bit. And what I came across was some interesting trivia actually having to do with Mary Chifo, who plays Laurel on Star Trek Discovery. Oh, yeah? And Mary Chifo said that Grilka was her favorite Klingon character. Wow. Uh, I really loved in Deep Space Nine Grilka. I loved her story with Quark and how she ended up having to work the system and become the leader of her own house, which was in a patriarchal species, so unique and thrilling. Because she plays the rail as a full Klingon, she used Grilka as kind of a, a jumping off point in how to play that character. And I huh. think in thinking about Laurel, like you can see some Grilka in her. Definitely. In that performance. And I think that's really cool. Good find. Yeah, not all research is bad. <laughs> you know what's never bad, Ben? What? Is the, uh, is the ceremonial reading of Priority One messages. That's where you slap me uh-huh. and then spit at my face. And then we read a message and then I slap you, spit in your face. And then we read the second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we usually cut the slapping and spitting part out just because it's kind of gross on microphone. But... Right. <laughs> yeah. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a personal nature. It is from Aneth. It is for Jen. Message goes like this. My dearest Jen, thank you for an amazing first year of marriage. I am so lucky to have found the perfect kitty mama. Traveling (laughs) companion. Dance partner, theater buddy, and best friend. Coming home to you every day is a gift. Here's to the decades to come and to our continuing adventures as a family. Love always, Anath. Is Anath a cat? I don't believe cats have opposable thumbs. Oh, and yeah. those are a requirement for completing a priority one message form. Fair enough. Uh, wow, what a, that's a, what a lovely message. Yeah, that's real nice. First year is a big year. I mean, any moment now, they're going to be uh, like confiding weaknesses in each other. And... Oh, yeah. Vulnerability is, uh, is just around the corner for you, too. I can just tell. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a big part of any marriage. Yeah. I know you'll do great. Adam, our second priority one message is from Dennis from Minneapolis, and it's for Ben and Adam. It goes like this. I'm six months behind on the pod and too lazy to look online, so apologies <laughs> to my fellow viewers if this has already been covered. If you could have any TNG or DS9 loaf, what would they be and why? Important note, you don't become the alien in question. You just, like, get their loaf, man. <laughs> Thanks for a life-changing show. You two are an absolute are the absolute best. Ah, oh, thanks, Dennis. Wow. Man, that's a great question. What loaf? I love it when people ask us questions. <laughs> loaf, huh? Yeah. Loaf, but loaf without the alien. Huh. You know what? So much loaf out there seems difficult to clean. Yeah. And a lot of it, I feel like you're going to want to go in there with a Q-tip. Lots of nooks and crannies in some of that loaf. So I'm inclined to choose 
Less loaf versus more. Are you a more loaf person? Does data count as loaf? Because I think I would be data. I would look like data if I was going to look like a, a character. I don't think that counts. Yeah, it's got to be, it's got to have like dimension to it, right? It can't just be face paint. The easiest one would be Bajoran, right? Just get a little nose, nose ridge, you know? A little bendy yeah. straw on the nose. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the most comfortable to sleep in, I think. You'd probably get a lot of high fives if you had uh, Vulcan loaf. I think my choice is going to be the alien from the most toys with that rhythmic gymnastics ribbon stuck in his face. <laughs> it goes like all throughout. Because <laughs> that seems like something that's removable, right? Like that's almost yeah. a removable piercing of loaf. Yeah, that's uh, that's like jewelry in his loaf. And I got to say, like, I don't know whether this is like a good way to answer the question, but I think a lot about how I would sleep with that kind of loaf. I think yeah. if you become the alien... Sleep would come easy to you because you're used to it. But if I'm just a human wearing loaf, I think that sounds like a nightmare. And so I'd want at least semi-removable loaf Yeah. in that case. And so that's why I'm picking rhythmic gymnastics loaf. Yeah, like I think we all know that Cardassian would be the worst loaf. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, like we saw people walking around as Cardassians at Star Trek Las Vegas. They just looked very uncomfortable. If you're doing Cardassian play, I think you should win the contest. That seems like the hardest kind. Yeah. yeah. A lot of adhesive. A lot of adhesive. A lot of intricate little bits that have to go in, you know, under your nose, but above your upper lip and stuff. Rough. Rough stuff. wonder if they're giving out dirty sheets at Star Trek conventions when you check <laughs> into that hotel. We'll never know. Yeah. Well, if, uh, if you have a Priority One message, and, uh, and especially if you have a question for Ben or I that we could answer on the show, you can take it on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages and questions are $100, and commercial messages for your great idea or business are $200. They are a great way to spread the word far and wide about what your interests are and help support the greatest generation. Uh, hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, my Shimoda's a scene Shimoda, Ben, and it's the one that you referred to earlier. The scene where Quark has Gowron and everyone else in the chamber's clicking through their TI-82s, following along yeah. like with the accounting report that he's presenting. Like, There is physical comedy happening there that is... All it is is a calculator in a Klingon's hand, and like that is hilarious. Yeah. I love that that's scene. A, that's an earned laugh. Like, they've earned that over yeah. years and years of television. <laughs> like, that's all you need to see to, to get a kick out of it. I, I love that scene. And that was, like, the most absurd moment in the episode. That felt like, that's like Shimoda on the floor yeah. to me. That was great. I mean, Gowron in that scene was my Shimoda just, like, for flipping the, flipping the yeah. you know, he, he literally, like, throws it away at some point. He's like, I don't fucking care. I don't care about any of this crap. Like, I loved that. Great Shimoda's. Yeah. I think that counts as a as a daily double, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. They're they're in the same scene. Yeah. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? 
because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up in the next episode? The next episode is season three, episode four, Equilibrium. While experimenting with a keyboard, the musically untrained Dex inexplicably plays a melody she seems to remember from somewhere. (laughs) That seems like a joke. (laughs) 
That's the actual description they have on Netflix. Of course, Amazon went with a deadly secret from Dax's past could mean the end of Jadzia's life. Oh, that sounds like a better episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, stakes officially raised. Uh, wow. So big Dax episode coming up next week in which either we spent a lot of time uh, finding out how she learned to play keyboard or something threatens her life. Very exciting. Well, uh, speaking of excitement, we are on square 94 of the game of buttholes. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. We're in some danger here, I would say, because uh, four squares away, we've got a, uh, a butthole yeah. that goes down to an nth degree. We sure do. And six squares away, we've got a Morn Hammered episode. Of course, Morn Hammered is the Power Hour episode, which uh, I think we, we both uh, fear and respect. <laughs> Perfectly put, Ben. Why don't you uh, why don't you roll that bone? Oh shit, dog. We have landed square on square 100. Really? Really? Well, for uh, for all those who have been lamenting the amount of Quark's Bar episodes uh, in this run of Have you heard of much of that? I feel like we have lamented it. I mean, this is this is why I shouldn't lurk on our Facebook or uh, or our Reddit pages. Well, Doing a Morn Hammered episode is a great way. We're, we're going to recycle. We're going to go back to one after that, right? And okay. we'll uh, we'll have some new squares on the board and maybe maybe a, f- a few fewer quirks bars. Uh, I like that. I was just going to ask what we were we, we were doing after this. So yeah. that that sounds satisfying to me. Right on. It would be weird if we got separate runabouts <laughs> and we each had to roll. And, like, one of us is doing a Quark's Bar and one of us is doing a Naked Now. Jesus. I don't want to do that. Oh, no, that's a terrible idea, Adam. Why did you even say one it out us, loud? <laughs> one of us is doing a looking at each other during and one of them is doing a Naked Now. <laughs> we, must, we must take great care in making sure that never happens. <laughs> yeah. Mutually assured destruction. Well, that will be the next episode of the greatest generation deep space nine in the meantime big one. uh we need your support to make this show this uh show takes a lot of work to do every week and uh you can support it in many ways you can go to maximumfund.org donate uh if you do that you get access to lots of great bonus content we're always adding bonus content we're really proud of the special uh donors only episodes that are in that feed we also uh, really appreciate people who leave nice ratings and reviews on their podcast software, uh, recommending the show uh, to people online, and uh, recommending it to friends in real life is also a great way to uh, to get the word out there. We also appreciate people who flag one-star reviews as inappropriate <laughs> uh, wherever <laughs> reviews are given. That yeah. also gives us a great big help. Yeah, we're, uh, we love that shit. Um, Here's the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter, where Adam is at Cut for Time and I am at Benjamin R. Uh, Maybe not for long, though. (laughs) Uh, We also have a Facebook group, uh, or so I'm told, and uh, a Reddit sub. (laughs) 
Yeah, those those places will live on even if we're not there. Yeah, uh, great communities. Go meet, a, go meet a special person. We had a proposal happen at one of our live shows uh, that I believe were uh, two people who who met in that fan community. So yeah, that was really cool. Pretty awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah, we got to do a, a priority one message proposal, and uh, what a treat. Um, we got to thank Adam Ragusea, who makes uh, all the custom music for the show. Uh, of course, Dark Materia, who made the original theme song. And our card daddy, Bill Tilly, who makes trading cards of every episode, and he puts them up on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, and that guy's the best. It's a, uh, one of the main reasons to stay to stay on Sochmead. Yeah, no kidding. If I left Twitter, I'd never see the card daddy. Yeah. I can't do that. Uh, a, so private Twitter. Yeah, just me and card daddy. Yeah, you could just unfollow everybody but Bill Tilly. I, I'd support that. Yeah, I'll think about that. <laughs> well, with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and an episode of the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which drunkenly plays chapsticks until we're kicked out of the bar. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.